I'd just like to um, say a few things before I um, go off to Amawadi and uh, and her retreat is coming towards a triumphant conclusion. (laughs) And uh, so that just seemed appropriate um, to just slip out the back door as it were. I, I come back and then be a, like a day or so really before um, you know things are kind of fading more into um, external activity again moving that way <coughs> so so I'd just like to um, express my respects and um, well wishes for everyone strangely it's very grounding coming back into this configuration again for me. I've been a, a two or three weeks out um, or operating independently, not, uh, not in solitude, but <laughs> independently anyway. Uh, so it's a kind of uh, this configuration for me feels very um, settled, grounded for myself. It's about you know coming back. It does, you know, one kind of senses the presence of of you all as a um, as a as a community, as a kind of a communal body with many different limbs and organs, but essentially a communal body, and that's um, <coughs> for me a very you know, helpful reference <coughs> sense of shared. Um, determination, aspiration, and of course shared difficulties, so, which uh, many of you have shared with me. <laughs> and my own practice this has been the major um, feature of it is actually sharing um, other people's practice. So took on quite consciously um, you know, teaching retreat or being in a particular relationship is with certain possibilities you know, in terms of what, what one can do and I thought you know, the most appropriate is to be in a kind of some sort of sharing role rather than um, say purely on my own or being sometimes on my own and sometimes kind of giving a talk and sometimes on my own giving, which is kind of going backwards and forwards all the time, which gets a bit strange. I'd sooner be more in a situation where there's a sense of, you know, well, I'm, you know, I'm sharing, I'm here, and I'm listening, and I'm interested, and uh, not just academically, but personally interested. See how, how, um, how it affects me to hear you, how it affects me to see you, how it affects me when you talk about your joys and sorrows and what comes up for me. You know, when I feel a compulsion to sort it all out, fix it, make it better, um, or whatever, you know, comes up. <coughs> so working with those things, because I feel that in a way is very much working with um, a big part of what my um, experience is about, both internally and externally, tendency to how I respond to either my own internal difficulties or joys or interests or enthusiasms, you know, and how that responds to other people's and often overreact rather than truly respond. 
So I felt that in in contemplating this shared experience, I was as much contemplating my my own working with my own as with any of yours. Um, and so it's been quite rich. Um, thank you for that. Sometimes, of course, it, you know, it's not say it's all been all been a winner. <laughs> yeah. But generally, what I I ref- contemplate you know, the effects, having spoken or been with any of you individually, contemplate those effects and what's happening. What does this bring up for me? What does this remind me of? Um, and generally, how was that? You know, just trying to make this uh, sense of contemplation and meditation fit into my life, rather than something I do in the in between activities um, so more intensive meditation or more introspective or purely individual like it has had many blessings and advantages but there's areas it's just not, not really covered for me and um, <clears throat> this is particularly the case in terms of what I take to be the external world uh, which is a place of various assumptions and learned reactions and, and attitudes for, for myself. Uh, most of those are about uh, getting it done, uh, getting it fixed, getting it settled, getting it all right, doing one's duty, and so on. And that's, that's something that's kind of, kind of imprinted on the, on, the, on the nervous system. And I imagine that's probably the case for many of you. Uh, but uh, uh, um, to this, uh, in some ways, that's uh, my sanctity conditioning is that way too. Having been in position responsibility since I was ordained six weeks, <laughs> I was put in a position responsibility after six weeks of being in the monastery, and it's been like that for the next last twenty six years, um, on and off. But very much that kind of um, sense sense of it. Um, so, when we are living in a situation such as this, where there's a community and things to, to do, and, and even just video rules and standards and routines to keep to, then this area of how, how do we respond to this, even when it's a kind of fairly moderate level of external activity like morning puja, evening puja, sent for me, or do the washing up and all this kind of thing, you know, how, how do we respond to that, and how do we respond to being with other people, or having a room or having a kuti or um, what's going on around us. Um, you know, trying to actually say, well, this is an area that we need to to um, come to terms with. Even it's a fairly subtle thing like you know, mon- monastery routines or, or um, how the training rules affect us, how we feel about being expected to be pure, you know, which can be something that sends a shudder down one's spine or... or calm or, or well-trained or well-ordered, these things can have very kind of unfortunate resonances for us, <coughs> even though we, we conceptually think that's true, that's the way it should be, but somehow on an emotional level we can feel a bit um, choked by all that. <coughs> so it's really trying to uh, get more of a fully felt sense for um, 
for one's behavior and activities and how one's affected by others to really feel it rather than just uh, go to the assumptions and reactions that we may have acquired um, about the external world and other people. You know, which is uh, make sure one is pleasing to other people, make sure one is polite to other people, make sure one does one's job well for other people. And these are all kind of, you know, okay standard behavior modes in the external world. And I'm not saying we should disregard them, but to, to, to realize that unless they're, they're backed up by something more like a sense of love, eagerness, uh, willingness, um, enthusiasm, sense of purpose, they in fact become um, things that, that uh, have a very negative effect on us. We feel uh, dulled by them. Uh, we feel um, uh, strapped in by them. We feel, we feel burdened by them. We can feel duty bound by them. Um, you know, and um, you know, or a mixture of that. One feels a certain sense of of, of uh, eagerness and willingness, but also a certain sense of pressure. Like you know, there's a mixture of it um, to to you know to to do a retreat or to. Um, come to the meetings and so forth. And yeah, fine, okay, but also there's a background feeling of, of, you know, in the box, as it were, being in the box. So, as well as an internal feeling, which may be one's genuine sense of, you know, one's eager, one's interested, one wants to practice, and, and the feeling which is, say, one says external, which is, this is what they want you to do. And if you kind of caricature it a little bit or contemplate those things, you can see that some things are marked by them that they want me to do or what should be done or it you know, it needs to be and so on. And this so this is kind of like, it's displaced I would say, in other words that sense of it is put onto other people or into situation or say onto me, naturally you know, urgency wants me to do this or expects this of me or he always you know, these kinds of things. And this is all the way that particular, the external world is like that, and it tends to be um, impervious. You know, it's, it's not something we can negotiate with. We can rebel against it, maybe, or fume against it, or just go under it. But to really feel one is in it, belonging to it, you know, and it's interested and negotiable, or, or, or something that's actually, you know, you're intimately connected to. Is, is rare because the external world for most of us, all of us, I would suggest, is something which has been, which is not negotiable. It's the law. It's what school's about. It's what happens out. It's, it's much bigger than me. And so you just, you can go along with it or you can rebel against it. Or as most people in the world do, you kind of do little bits on the side that nobody notices. <laughs> <coughs> Now, if we didn't take any of that, even residues of that kind of conditioning into, a, into the holy life, then this, um, particularly when we're doing a focused practice, meditation practice, and then the, the hindrances, difficulties arise around that. One doesn't necessarily know to cope with, can't manage with. So, I mean, common enough, I don't think I'm a very good monk, you know. Um, you know, I'm not a very good nun. I'm you know, not as diligent as I should be. And we, somehow these statements are getting made from from an external. We've kind of imagined an external standard. You know, 
of the monk or the nun or whatever, and then this is what I should be. Um, and actually, there isn't an ideal monk or nun here. So we can we can say, oh well, you know, Ajahn Kuniko is an ideal monk, or or Jitindri or Sister Tani is an ideal nun, or whatever. You know, you can always pop, push it up the line a bit, <laughs> or ask somebody else to be it for you. Uh, and then that, that's a that's a real killer, isn't it? If you get you got nominated as the ideal nun, <laughs> then, you, know, you can't can't have a single moment of weakness <laughs> or anything. You know, you think that term, a single moment when you can just feel you know sad or a bit tired or, or whatever. Because you know? these ideal things are always so sterile, and we we can either use other people to to hold that for us. Or we can have it hanging as a kind of shadow behind us, this ideal thing that that we're not, and you know, so it's become externalised. And then, of course, it becomes even easier somebody distant, like Ajahn Mahabur, you know, or Ajahn Chah is dead. And that's nice and safe, isn't it? So we can completely apotheosize Ajahn Chah, godlike being, you know, who one's not like. Or and of course, if they're all men, that's another. Tone to it, you know, trying, trying to make Ayakama into a, into a <laughs> what I think is quite strange. <laughs> but, um, you know, carrying these, uh, or, or, or these, these are subtler things, it's just it's not really known as a person, it's just a feeling. You know. And sometimes, of course, that, that can be, that there's a, the, there's a sense in which it can be helpful and you kind of something you can lift up to. Now, oh, this is the good, this is the bright, you know, lift up. Well, you know, lift up. So you use these things that maybe as notions just to get the sense of one can lift, one can aspire, one can rally, you know, one can gather up. And there's a certain point at which they become destructive. In other words, you just rip and strain, um, you know, and you begin to tear. Something in your tears. And then your faith begins to waver because either you know in that tearing experience you feel inadequate or trying to manage it and you can't manage it and then the sense of confidence in oneself one's practice begins to falter and then maybe we start to blame people um, for being ideal or resent them or resent the situation it's too high a standard too exacting but you know, and so these things can be only partial. You know, I don't think anybody's is that uh, confused to really, uh, you know, to be fairly psychotic. I would think to really, you know, put, play this out in full. But I imagine that most of us do to a certain extent, and to a certain extent, there's skillfulness in that. When it purely, when we recognise this is causing certain enlightenment factors to flourish in me. Mm. Certain injuries are flourishing because of this. And so this is why in, in the um, Sutta and the Sutta tradition, then all these things are seen, um, you know, very much is, is inter- as, as this level of internality, that is the injuries, the enlightenment factors. And it's not, say, such a devotional thing whereby we use external imagery like you do in Mahayana to, to, to bring up, to lift up. Mm. 
external is the is the um, is the world of behaviour. Is the world where one is seen and known <coughs> and and measured by others. And so um, is that. And the internal is more a world of, of essence, that is, things that perhaps not so clearly cut. Uh, it's sort of slightly moving and shifting. There may be some joy, a little bit of sadness. Uh, it's not so clearly cut as behavior, which is just doing this or doing that, and that's right and that's not right. Yeah. And the internal world is, is something whereby one feels, something one feels one is. Um, one says that sense. And behavior is, is how one, <coughs> experiences oneself as seen or perceived or known or measured or appreciated or judged by others. And so um, that can be quite a difficult um, realm. So often when we're in a group or if we have to speak in a group or present ourselves in a group, we can be quite trembly, fluttery and nervous about that. Because suddenly, you know, I reckon here I am, now I'm, I'm out here, you know, I'm not back here where nobody can see me and this is all my concern I'm out here where I can be seen by you know 30 people can I cover all that you know are they all on my side Um, and maybe just even coming out into into that sense of being seen there's almost an animal instinct about it rather like a deer or a rabbit you know when it's out it knows it's out and it's it's alive and a deer rabbit knows when it's out, I am, I am prey. <laughs> or a mouse, you know. Very, very alert, but the whole system is, is attuned to I am prey. You know. Now, if you know when a cat knows it's out, cat knows I'm not prey, I'm predator. So a cat coming out is not, in that, is very alert, but in a different sense, isn't it? You know, it's alert with a sense of possibility. <laughs> <laughs> Know, what I could get here, I can control, I can have here. The mouth is 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 you know, alive with a sense of dread and vulnerability, you know. And so, you know, when we come out, what we humans can be either, you know, we could be either predators or prey, couldn't we? So when we come out, which comes up? Do you feel, you know, like a cat or like a mouse? <laughs> And perhaps for some people you feel more catty and other people you feel more mousy. So, you know, actually it's very interesting to, to just meditate on that sense, the external sense. Say, imagine everyone in the room is now looking at me you know, and how that would feel. Or there's somebody right behind me. Notice one day I was walking to my kutin and asked Edward Sukito to come over. And I was walking along, and I was walking on to my kutin, and then I could hear his footsteps behind me. And I thought, oh, Sukito. And then as I heard this, I thought, no, I'll just cancel that perception of Sukito and just go to the sense of footsteps behind me. And immediately the sense of fear. Well, not, you know, not terror, but just, hey, be careful here, what's happening? Sense of alertness. And then I went back to, oh, it's Sukito. No fear, no alertness. You know, they cancel that perception, the sense of, oh, what is that, you know? 
step behind me, coming up behind me. Uh, and then you can see how the, the senses are feeling at what speed is it coming at? Is it coming fast? Is it getting much closer? No, it's not getting close. It's not coming fast. You're okay. You know, just con- contemplating that, that kind of animal, animal sense there. Uh, we've been very heavy footsteps running. I might have been a lot more alarmed. So, obviously, you know, our, our, our kind of interpretations can immediately nullify those experiences. You can even say, oh, you're okay, you know, it's, you know, you're fine, it's, you know, it's, it's Tuesday, it's Thursday, it's this time, you know, it's so-and-so. But maybe just kind of going back and, and taking away those perceptions and just, well, what does it actually feel like? Just getting to that, where that area is in your system. And you are really quite alert. And you begin to experience some of the vulnerability or the eagerness come up. Mm. Something coming up behind me slightly. Oh. And I was noticing when I has been practicing more individually, I get quite excited at the at um, meeting somebody, really. I mean you know, on on that level, kind of fluttery. Silly old thing, you know. Um, <laughs> just to talk about dumber practice, I get a little sense of oh, human being, oh, oh treble, treble, you know, kind of flutter. That, of course, perceptually, it's just me again morning. Um, but underneath it, that sense of, you know, because when we meet somebody frontally, it means we've got to kind of negotiate here, haven't we? How are you? How am I? What's happening? Are you in a good mood? You know, those kinds of things happen in the first few seconds. So. You, since the system just really trembles, my system just trembles and lights up like that, as you can feel it, something's feeling out with this other person's that this is okay, you know, and what do they want, and how will it be good for them, and that, all that coming up, and then just you know, contemplating that. Mm. And then, of course, you know, one can put learned behaviour on top of that, like, hello, you sit down, have a cup of tea, nice day, so, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, or try not to be you know, excited. Or one can feel a sense of fear and try to cover that. With, uh, yes, hello, um, what can you do? You, know, you come up with polite noises. But really just, you know, sensing of trying to contact that, that more primary response rather than the learned social responses, which are often ways of, uh, can be ways of just kind of facilitating that. Like, oh, it's so nice to see you. Oh, lovely, you know, if you sit down. Lovely. Or it can be ways of just denying it. It's so nice to see you. Please sit down. <laughs> you know, or like you do at the supermarkets. Thank you very much. You no, know, they don't mean thank you very much at all. It's you know, you check out or uh, it's check out language or jargon that people throw at each other. Uh, so you can use denying uh, or, or counterfeiting that. So we take away that level to see really what actually happens. So I feel then I'm actually getting in touch more with the, the realities of of um, this, you know, karma, you know, both the karma of just being a human being, a sentient being, and then also the socialized karma. How, what kind of responses or I make to that initial resonance? You know, do I try to sort of calm down if I'm feeling a bit excited and eager, just kind of cool it a little bit, or um, you know? Or sort of reassure myself when I'm feeling frightened or anxious. Those things which make it more 
me, you know, me managing. And of course, when that management becomes is something that one feels one feels divorced from, like I'm supposed to be this way, you know, I can't even feel my feeling and then my own, make my own response to it and make myself comfortable in it. I can feel the feeling. All I know is I've got to be this way. So there's no sense of negotiating the response. Instead, we get the, this is what you're supposed to do or be experience, and it's this kind of um, you either, you, know, you generally one goes blindly to that, and then the sense of mindfulness is lost, and uh, awareness is lost, and its authenticity is lost, and often fairly meaningless conversations take place. Um, and this can happen for two or three people is having a meaningless conversation, at the same time deeply wanting to have a meaningful conversation, or touch each other, or be with each other, but somehow not being able to do that because they've immediately jumped into what feel the other one would like them to say or be. Mm. And so it doesn't mean there is actually a bad um, connection there, but actually they haven't taken the time to you know, really negotiate the truth of it. Mm. So this could be the case, I found also, that with people one does get a genuine sense of, uh, you know, of warmth, eagerness, you know, very nice. Somehow the thing goes off because one has accidentally jumped into what one felt they wanted rather than actually what one is really feeling oneself so when you feel you've got to do something quick fix something, make something okay go to the purely external and trust that because that's what one has learned to do rather than trust an internal which is a little bit more trembly or unclear and where does this go? <clears throat> so when you have things say like you know whether we live with each other or if I take an example myself living with Ajahn Sumedha so when you feel a lot of like I would feel a lot of um you know, eagerness, willingness, and so forth, uh, to to be with or to help or to, um, and yet could often get stymied by the sense of what I imagined or assumed he would want. So I wouldn't be able to express that because I'd immediately go to the doing the duty bit rather than actually expressing the feeling felt feeling bit or even acknowledging it in myself. They come across perhaps as slightly um, cold or, or unemotional. Mm. And whatever effect this has on other people and is one thing. But also the sense of knowing um, this area of, of where one is touched or feels a true response to an external or even an internal um, experience. So the beauty of this is it goes both ways, that responsiveness. It goes to the what is purely internal. One can feel it, sense it, get a feel, felt sense for it. And it goes to what is external, you know, actually external to other people doing something and how that affects me. Rather than what I think they should be or what I think he should be saying to him 
or whatever, or any of that, just how this affects me. Uh, and that's, this is, say, the middle, middle territory, called the mid, middle place. It's the place where the, the fourth Satipatthana become, is, is a key reference, the fourth foundation of mindfulness is a key reference. Which, of course, it's not that the hindrances, you know, wait till you've been through patiently through foundations one, two, and three before they come along. They come in on day one, I'm sure, even before day one in the prologue, they're there. <laughs> but the fourth foundation deals with one's ability to really sense them and hold them and handle them, you know. This is like this. This is the sense of, of you know, the, the ill will. You know, it's like this. It feels this way and it, it comes in this and it happens like that. It has this effect and it occurs there. And really better measure these things. Um, and my sense of this is that these things, and, and many more, I think the five hindrances are really, you know, categorizations of whole realms of experience, a sense of ill will being that which causes one to contract away from. It could be fear, could be um, you know, anxi- uh, fear, anxiety, guilt, um, aversion, anything that causes one to kind of crinkle back. And you can sense that. And interestingly enough, you know, or alarmingly enough, when you contemplate this middle territory, one can be recognizing that could be happening, just kind of a second of that, two seconds of that. You're with someone and actually... You know, you no problem is but really like this person, then there's this kind of little crinkle occurs and that that was ill will. But you wouldn't think you had ill will towards this person. But you know, on that level, but but at that particular moment maybe one was expecting something that didn't happen or what you know, and then there's this kind of little crinkle of disappointment and oh that's that. Uh, and ah you know, so ill will, um that karma chanda or um uh, whatever it is, abhijah, I think, the sense of, of ambition or covetousness or wanting or reaching out. So that means that sense of which the, you, know, you can feel something and you, you know, move out, expansion. You know, uh, uh, I, you know, I want to be, I want to be, there's something out there for me. Yeah. And so one is then, um, you feel a certain charge in the system, it's like kind of, you know, voltage rise, reaching out. Um, those two, and that can be either sense desire on, on a fairly gross, subtle level, or subtle level, or even, um, you know, just the um, ambition, wanting more, wanting this to extend, wanting it to be larger, greater. So you actually, you know, this middle territory is the territory you can feel these kind of energetic fluctuations, which are emotive. I would say they're emotive rather than emotional. Emotional, when I use that word, I mean something slightly more developed, which is, if you like, um, the reactions that occur around that. So I feel a little bit um, of that charge and then... I get my my emotion may be one of um, um, say you know 
it's a positive charge, one of greed, compulsive greed. Or it might be something more um, of a different nature, like, like covetousness, wanting it to be another way. Or it could be just fantasies. Something, you know, when it gets just overcharged and over busy, um, proliferating, excited, overexcited. So those say, are the, the emotional things. Um, and the, the emotive effect is just this kind of you know, swelling up charge. And you can you can sense, uh, and the sense of that is that if that is thwarted, then it's disappointment. You know, if I can't expand to that, then there's a sense of oh dear, you know. Contraction. If I can't contract away, I, I feel fear. You know, I've got to get away from this thing, otherwise I feel trapped and jammed. So there may be anger, guilt, fear, anxiety, um, self-blame. Blame of another person. So you just con- feeling those those fluctuations. And if they're felt right at the place where they are really felt, they don't have to go into these emotional patterns. That's the point of it. These emotional patterns are, are throw us out, um, and they throw us out. And they take us into history and personal history and scenario, he did this and she did that and he's always like this and he, she never does this. This kind of stuff. This is the, and it, it's soap opera stuff, isn't it? And we can carry that for years, thinking that really was the problem, rather than the problem was not actually getting to and being with and processing that little crinkle or that little flush. You know? And socialization tends to deny us that possibility. You know, you, know, you feel a little... That is the socialization process. Says, you know, you should always be actually exactly what the external situation requires of you. So if you get a little crinkle of aversion, you didn't feel that at all. One thing, you didn't feel that. Oh. Well, you're not allowed to feel that. You're bad if you feel that, or you're stupid if you feel that, or whatever. So you didn't feel it, did you? No, no, I didn't feel anything. (laughs) Honest. I'm good, I'm normal, like you are, good. <laughs> then you're okay, pass some, you know. <laughs> so then you can then pass that, that little bit of transmission on to your uh, peers and, and children and so forth. You didn't feel that, did you? No. <laughs> so you, the whole thing goes on. You know? So, you know, because if, if we can't feel that charge, or even... Uh, uh, you know, as is most likely that some of that emotive charge will go into emotional patterning. One does kind of blow one's core a bit uh, and look a, feel a bit of a fool. But that is not something that then is, you shouldn't be like this, you shouldn't do that. It's, oh, that was that, wasn't it? You know, one has a way of, of regaining that, the, the anger or the, the greed or the fear. And, you know, say, talking with, being with many of you, um, then it's, I think it wouldn't be breaking a confidence to say there's a certain amount of, of rage, fear, and grief present in the community. <laughs> you know, sometimes very, very, you know, so hardly able to be expressed in some ways because the sense of the grief is so hurt or the rage is so storming. And through perhaps never really being able to be 
feel that, and somebody else will think, oh, oh, yes, I'm interested in that, rather than you shouldn't be this way. And naturally, you know, I, I would suggest in some respects, this is where the, myself as a teacher can be, it can be difficult, because I can probably represent that in the world which says you should be this way, and you shouldn't be that way. You know, and here I am, you know, this. So, you know, uh, it's certainly been rewarding to be able to get through some of that anyway, you know, for people to be, you know, be able to handle some of this with you. Quite nice trusting quality to that, which I've enjoyed. Dullness is this uh, um, is a kind of another mechanism which is associated with uh, um, immobility. So if you have fight, fight and flight mechanisms, so animal level, you also have you know, freeze mechanisms, which is the rabbit's last chance. <laughs> Play dead. <laughs> so, huh? Pretend you're not really dead, so you can go that kind of. Where it doesn't feel comfortable, but it's it's probably the safest option. If I I don't know whether I'm prey or predator, or then to uh, just kind of freeze for a while. (laughs) So that sense of you know, it kind of eliminates potentiality. Just wait until the thing passes. Is the is the is the scenario? And then the other things that come up is the kind of worry, restlessness, and worry and flurry, which is in a way a system scrambling around trying to find out which which strategy to use. <laughs> you know, it can't quite. Should I run it? No, should I, you know, so it, it sort of scrambles around, not, not quite know what game to play. With it. You know, the system's certain the, the, the score here. Um, and then doubt, which is a feeling of, I don't know what to do, you know, collapse, which means that, that if you like, the, the quality of, of um, those two both represent states of not being, not really knowing what to do. But the worry, the restless one is still looking for something, to, you know, some operational system to, to come around and doubt someone's given up. You know, one feels one's actually completely incapable of finding a, a strategy, so the only way out is is down into the abyss. And that's the worst, actually. Doubt eradicates the ground. I mean, it's better to, you know, you haven't got anything to measure anything against. Complete loss of self-value, self-worth, self-reference. You don't know which way is up. Now, that when you contemplate this this emotive territory, then this can be, the advantage of this is, is when it's, it's even being able to kind of draw one's emotional outflow of, you know, whatever it is, back to that more primary sense. So one feeling really angry about somebody did their cell, or didn't do that, and okay, and then just get back to the sense of, well, feeling the heat in the body or the raging in the body or the violence that can be there which um, you know, is socially completely unacceptable and maybe even internally very frightening you know I might 
kill somebody, I might destroy somebody, I might kill myself. You know, like that. And, you know, one can see how, um, you know, displacement is in a way almost a safety mechanism. Uh, but, but, you're trying to bring it back into, into the, the felt bodily experience of it. Um, and if it is, it's, you know, well then, how do we contemplate that? Now, interestingly enough, it can be the case that we always um, feel that we tend to bring our, our states down. You know? So I, I need to be calm, I bring my mind state down to this calm place where I can manage it. You know? So the idea is it's sort of you're hyped up, you're hyper, let's come down, you know, get down to the place where I can really manage this. So you tend to pull it down. But it could also be the case that, in fact, you need to lift up to it. I was giving an example to somebody about um, one of the um, senior nun in a Christian convent who was doing a retreat with me, and being the senior nun, well, perhaps this isn't the case here, of course, but in her case, being a senior nun, she has an extreme sense of antipathy to all the other nuns. Um, <laughs> which we don't have here, being Buddhist. <laughs> But I think there is a much bigger problem, actually, for, for the Christian community, because there's so much more emphasis on outward behavior, you know, and devotion to the Lord, and, you know, all the, you know, then here we're a little bit more earthy about it all, it's all right, so, you know, we can, we're familiar with the internal territory, which is a bit more wild and shaggy than the external. Um, so there's extreme emphasis on external, externality, which means that everybody hates each other. <laughs> because you know she's the one who's always telling me what to do she's the, he's the person in charge of this whole control system who's kind of holding me down and these are the rotten ungrateful people I've got to control <laughs> I'm always trying to break out and get away with something you know and all the permutations that occur around that and so it's, uh, she was saying um, she was on this retreat with me and uh, she said there's so much hatred I hate everybody so much <laughs> I wasn't certain whether well, I hated the, them more than they hated me, or which who hated each other. And so she ended up just kind of running, was running around the field, Ramramwadi, loping around the field, just getting a. <laughs> till it was just, eventually, just pure hatred. There's no me hating them or them hating, it was just pure, pure, unalloyed hatred. <laughs> and at that moment, she just touched into that, she was, it kind of released itself. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because on the linguistically it doesn't make sense from behavioural, you know, from behavioural perspective which dominates our language, it doesn't make sense. You know, hatred is something that should be eliminated. Hatred is bad. It's wrong. You shouldn't have it. You should get rid of it. And that's all true. But actually, how it gets eliminated, you know, means that there has to be a meeting of that on a from the essential point of view, from behavioural point of view. Maybe we say. Okay, I don't, I don't say anything. I check. I walk away. I think, fine. See you later. You know. <laughs> <laughs> then, yeah, right. Now we, we've, of course, we know inside the seed, the seed. Um, you know, how do we meet that? And sometimes you've actually got to lift your system up to it. it means charge up.
but calm it down. You know, rage yourself up a bit. Um, and sometimes actually vigorous movement does this. So, so if you're actually walking around, running around, um, you know, or going to a, to a larger sense uh, of that. You, you meet it, and there is a release. I think this is important to recognize, because if things don't release themselves, who is going to release them? You know? uh, who is going to release you know, your fear? Who is the one who's going to release your fear? Where, where is she? Where is he? Who is he? You know, because in, you're actually now entering into Buddhist heresy, aren't you? you know, there's some independent self, apart from these things, is going to do it for you. But you know, I was really bear in mind that the take it on these things have to be self-releasing for the, for there to be true dhamma. You know, they have to be things that manifest and express themselves as impermanent and not self. And if there's somebody there releasing them, that person, however well-intentioned they are, is actually getting in the way. Now, the person who does it is fine on the behavioural level. You know, he says, shut up, walk away. <laughs> fine, you know, that's, that's okay on, on the level of behaviour. <coughs> level of essence, that, that person is, um, can be a hindrance. Yeah, it can be used to the extent of saying, you know, what we need that person to do is to say, oh, this is anger, it feels like this, feel it in your body, what's happening now? Is this the right, have you got enough space to handle it? Then, fine, yeah, it actually creates a, a, a context. And then the, that person has to, in a way, recognize, you know, and get out of the way and let, let it do what it has to do and contemplate the images or the feelings that come up. You know. And if, if this can be brought around, there's an increasing sense of, of gladness in the mind at this, at this same place, the same emotive place. One can feel glad and confident, even though one recognises here's the potential for fear, for sorrow, for violence. It's all here. The potential is all here. The system is capable of violence, you know, the human body, of fear, you know. Uh, it's an animal. It's capable of those things. And yet there can be the sense of gladness and confidence because, you know, one is with it, one knows it. And the only people who really lose it in the world are the people who don't know their stuff. They're the ones who are psychotic. They don't really know their stuff. <coughs> and then there are systems that can um, hide all this stuff, which are to do with external values. Fair, right, proper, should, supposed to be, and so on. Saw a, a little quote. There's a fellow who wrote a you know, huge book on violence, on nature of violence, and he said in his kind of classic statement, "The only there is only one universal cause of violence, and it's the search for justice." <laughs> Everybody who commits an act of violence is actually thinking they're acting justly. They're searching for justice, for revenge, recrimination, punishment, sort out, eliminate evil, everybody. All violence is created through the sense of justice. 
So you get how justice is a purely external concept, isn't it? How you stick an external concept onto the internal feeling of I feel sad, I feel frustrated, I feel lessened, I feel wounded, I feel hurt. We get violence comes up because it, it clamps that down and eventually the only way we can get it is explode um, onto the person who you think is holding it in. So it becomes perhaps another person. Or onto oneself, you know, where we do violence to ourselves. Which, you know, humans are perhaps the only creatures who, who do that. Because we're the ones who create this, you know, this sense of external world. Other, other creatures are just in it. They don't, they don't create it, they're just in it. They don't worry about it or doubt about it. A rabbit doesn't worry and doubt, you know. Should I go out? Should I not go out today? Might be fox out there, maybe not. <laughs> Is that grass clean before I eat it? Or has some cow weed on it or something? It just kind of sees grass junk. See, sees fox runs. You know, it doesn't worry, think, plan what it should or should be. It just is. And we're the ones who think, oh, well, maybe it shouldn't be that way. It's not right. It's not fair. It shouldn't be like that. He shouldn't be like that. This isn't the way it should be. He should be this. We're the ones who do that. And this is, you know, this is an external world that is actually carried around. It's really not that external. It's, it's kind of something, it's a, something we see the world through. So, you know, you want to kind of get back into how that's created. The freeze mechanism is caused by the sense of, well, you, nothing you can do about it. That's the way it is. You know, so from that, dullness comes up. Uh, so those things, which are you know reasonable Buddhist statements of the way it is, the way the world, way world is, you know, can be held in a way in which makes us causes us to go into this sense of lassitude. Because what is really a statement about behaviour, you know, things do happen the way, is, is kind of held in an essential manner. So, so essence deals with, you know, behaviour deals with one, what one does. Essence deals with one's ability to actually be present and feel that. So, okay, you know, if we feel that the world is, is hopeless, nothing to do with it, let's feel the sense of sadness in that. Or feel the sense of frustration in that, or feel the sense of fear in that. You know, it's frightening out there. It's painful out there. You know, that's that means one is still alive essentially. But if we just go to the well, it's like that. Then why bother? Then we're not. You know what I mean? What's happened? We've actually lost our essential responsiveness, and the mind just goes flat and dull. This can be a big problem for meditators, and I imagine that many of us who have gone forth have gone forth with a certain amount of that sense. What can you do? It's pointless. Get out of here. I can't, you know, I want to run with this, I don't want to fight with it, and enough. We go to that. And so that, uh, you know, for, I notice more more monks are dull than lay people in meditation. Lay people are generally too tensed up, freaked out, and tight, you know, 
They're not dull, they're sort of gish, 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 but they're not dull. Monks are kind of flop. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you wonder, well, there's something about the whole attitude towards life. A monk kind of said, well, that's enough of that, forget about it. And in a way, on a behavioural level, that's all fine, but whether one has actually you know, taken it to an essential level, one was not really even, you know, really feeling it, tuning to, to those, those, that experience. Because, of course, these experiences are difficult for us and, and painful for us. But I'm saying that the pain of life, if it's fully felt at this level, releases itself. It doesn't, doesn't, it's not wrong, it doesn't dig in you. It's when it's not held properly, it, it sticks there. But if it's actually the pain of life is releasing, it releases itself. In the fear of it and the, the, the hurt of it. If we can, you know, get to that where it's felt, and this is this emotive level. This is felt, um, there's a body reference to that, which is why I've made, do make quite a strong point about mindfulness of body. You have what you might call the very external sense of the body, which is what, you know, contacts us directly, the, the tactile stuff touching me. And then we have something maybe very deep within that, which is kind of very primary sense of just being here, you know, being. This is a very kind of core quality. And between the two is this middle bit, whereby it's a little more trembly. And I, I suggest that one of the ways of fully accessing that is this sense of, you know, the rabbit sense, if you like, or the cat sense. And those, those are perhaps a bit highly charged. Um, it may be the sense of when you're about to w- step into a nice warm bath, you know, something you go, ooh, this is going to be nice. Ooh, so you, you know, it could be that, couldn't it? It could be rather the precarious and rabbits and cats. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of, it doesn't, you know, when, you know, it's something new kind of rises up to, to meet. And yet you're not really, it's not really there yet. You're preparing yourself for it. Just like um, a tracker, you know, who's walking along. And you know, if that's not even certain what animal they're looking for, they just, it might be a bird or a butterfly or a deer coming by. And it could be behind me. It could be, I could hear it maybe, or it could, might be a smell. Or it might be a, a sight. I don't know which sense organ it's going to come through, but somewhere, you know. So that, you know, when it's very, very quiet, not embroiled in thought, not, you know, stuck on external phenomena, because you might get distracted, but just attuned to what might be. And it, it brings you to that kind of layer in the body, in the body sense. The mind is quiet, um, when it's certainly not caught outwardly, when it's not distracted inwardly. And then you can feel that kind of, now, you know, the sense of joy, sense of fear, sense of uncertainty, sense of irritation, you know, sense of ease, you know, just like the fluttering quality. So for when we don't sense that, then our, our inward direction uh, doesn't always meet the core presence, uh, core bodily presence. 
And you may acknowledge this sometimes one could be sitting and you go in with it and you can feel that quality of brightness or clarity. And sometimes you go in with it just oof, black hole, you know, or a sort of a swirling sense. And one hasn't actually gone inwardly at all. One has gone into, well, gone into dissociation. Dissociation and meditation are, um, are um, unfortunately live together. <laughs> Dissociation is a kind of fairly okay space from not being bothered. Yeah. And we get low grade, low grade awareness, low grade responsiveness, just kind of being with it. Some sense of knowing, but not really that dreamy, the dreamy state. And of course, it's, it's, it's the ideal panacea for a modern human. And, um, most of us do this, have done this a lot. Uh, <laughs> to just to cope with uh, all sorts of stuff, clanging and banging and rushing around and everything. But we're out. And you're out there in the naughty world, you know, feeling, I'm fine. Yeah, this is really interesting. And yet not, and you're not really noticing what's going on around. So, you know, you want to avoid that, even though it is nice and comfy and feels quiet and undisturbed. Because it's a very bad habit and a habit that meditators are prey to. <coughs> so it's kind of, when things get painful, Dissociate. When things may be painful, dissociate. When things may may be confusing, dissociate. There's nothing else to do, dissociate. <laughs> it's a kind of like sugar, it goes on everything. <laughs> because sometimes being out, you just don't really know what's going to be happening. So it doesn't feel quite so comfy. Or it can be slightly anxious. Some of these effects are subtle. <clears throat> but that middle middle territory does not create conceit, which is a sense of I am this. No sense of that. It's like, like the rabbit doesn't know I am frightened, just being frightened. Just the system is just kind of charged. It doesn't got a complex about it. Doesn't think pull yourself together, rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> the other rabbits don't see me, just <laughs> <laughs> no cover, it's just kind of being fear is fine for a rabbit. <clears throat> so the sense of I am comes when we maybe and we go um, you know too far inwardly, saying, well, these things are happening to me, so I'm this, I'm that sense. Mm-hmm. You get a conceit comes up. Or the external sense is I'm supposed to be, or I should be, or other people want me to be, or um, I'm not as good as when it's compared with somebody else. <coughs> so watch out for those when they come up. When you sense those, I'm not as good as she is. I'm not as good. What's the sense of that? I don't know right now. I feel angry. I think, oh, I shouldn't be angry. 
the heart. No, no, you're not angry. It's just the sense of the anger and rage about feeling, the sense of being inferior. So we know we can misinterpret it. <coughs> you make me feel. That's the, you know, you get the whole sense, you get the emotive sense of that, the whole being with that, and then you might have like a physical reference, a bodily reference, you feel heat or enlarged or cold or shriveled or shrunken, or you feel it up in your chest or down in your belly, you're trying to, mm, there it is. And then conceptually, which is the ability to, what is outlined in the Satipatthana, so to, like this, it's swelling, it's arising, it's you know, just being able to define it in a way. Because that does give one the sense of objectivity, which is not dissociative. I'm not saying I should be, I shouldn't be, just it's like this. So that's providing a kind of an objective reference, so one's got a, somewhere to stand with it. <coughs> so these are the processes and patterns how to work with this um, stuff. And as you say, so as you contemplate internally that, those experiences, you know, certain moods or sensations are happening or aren't happening. And then, how are you? How is that? How do you feel? How do you feel with that? You feel fed up, you know, struggling. You know, I mean, I'm compelled. I've got to make this work. And how does that feel? You know? So you, you, you know, you always try to have that kind of sense of reflection uh, to get to the to the to the felt edge of it, and then feeling in the bodily sense, and then externally. You know, Here I'm nice group of people. So you know, very nice. I like Steve. I like you know, great. You know. I'm fed up with being. Actually, I feel like I'm fed up with being this bunch of creeps. <laughs> You know, they say, whoops. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's more like something that's coming from, not from real people, but from my ghostly squadron of the way I've displaced my sense of, of um, you know, maybe duty or comparisons or feeling inferior or whatever. So I said, okay, you, know, you can make me feel inferior now rather than you. And so, you know, we make it unpleasant or in a group situation, I'm stuck here, you know, I've got to be here until the bell rings. And then the whole thing becomes, again, poisonous. So, you know, we, we can recognize how those things which are socially unacceptable, you know, on an essential level, are to be, not behavioral level, but essence, essence, level of essence, are things that we, we contemplate and find that if we can handle them as essence rather than interpret them as behaviour, or is even relevant to behaviour, or, or, or judged in terms of behaviour, then they do release. They release themselves. And there, you have the um, enlightenment factors are in there, the agents of release, and the quality of release can be experienced at that level. It's called release, isn't it? In the pragmatism of Buddhism, it's not called God, the Tao, the Way, it's called release, because that's what it feels like. 